This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Ryan Mitchell has been cooking Eastern Carolina-style whole hog barbecue for most of his life. He's a pit master from Wilson, North Carolina, and the son of barbecue legend Ed Mitchell. Father and son recently published their first cookbook together titled Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. And in it, they not only write about the mouth-watering dishes they've mastered over the decades, but also about their family's tradition and the complicated relationship that black Americans have had with barbecue over generations. So today, we're going to talk about that history and about the art of cooking whole hog. And Ryan Mitchell joins us from Raleigh, North Carolina. Ryan, welcome to On Point. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited to be here. We are, we are very excited to have you. And I want to start, if we could, with uh, the story that your father writes uh, in the mm-hmm. book uh, of the moment that changed his relationship with barbecue in 1991. Can you tell us that? I can. Well, first of all, um, in 1991, um, we, we lose our family hero, which is my grandfather. And at that particular time, uh, my grandparents were, you know, running a, a corner store, if you will, bodega neighborhood grocery store. We sold, you know, fresh meats and cheeses and, and all the things and beverages. And so my grandmother's love language is cooking mm-hmm. and, um, and feeding the neighborhood and fe- feeding the churches and, and, you know, just giving people food all the time. You know, that's her, that's her way to spread her hospitality. And so once my grandfather passed away, um, we were really just in search of a way to try and, number one, figure out how we were going to save, you know, that, that particular piece of property and, and, you know, the family estate. And number two, um, give my grandmother an out, you know, a form of therapy to, to continue mm-hmm. to feel like she mattered to the family and, 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 you know, that we were going to continue to need her prayers and leadership as we got through losing my grandfather. So, you know, that, that, um, that particular summer, we started, um, we cooked a pig uh, just as a family dinner, you know, so to say, because her, they were retired, so they would cook. She would cook dinner on little hot plates in the back of the grocery store just as their family dinner, as their routine before they left out for the evening. So they would get home and just relax. And so, that you know, she continued that same, you know, that same uh, routine. And we cooked a little family dinner that evening, and she was, it was really just meant to feed uh, myself, my two uncles, and my dad, and you know, a few other late family members that may stop by and continue to pay their condolences or whatever. And so uh, we cook a, pig, a small pig that day and a few sides, and, um, you know, we lock the door, and uh, we begin to—well, well, sorry, we didn't lock the door first. We begin to have a family meal, and right before we lock the door, a, a customer comes in, you know, that last customer as you're finishing up the day, and he, uh, he grabs, um, you know, a juice and some bread and— another beverage, adult beverage, and uh, he he looks over and notices that, you know, there's a little pail of food of barbecue uh, sitting on the, the meat counter. And he says, hey, can I can I get a sandwich? And, uh, <laughs> you know, my dad kind of looks over to him like, man, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, the sandwich, a barbecue over there. He's like, man, that ain't for sale. You know, that's <laughs> just, that's family dinner. Uh, you know, you know, mama's just back there making stuff, you know, for us to eat and get out of here. And so my grandmother pops up her head and she's like, just give him a sandwich. He can have it. And so um, <laughs> we, we, at her request, we give this gentleman a sandwich and he pays for his beverages and he 
walks out the door into the neighborhood. And, um, <laughs> and so we proceed to lock the door and just continue to get out of there. But right, right after we lock the door, there's a rattle at the door, and it is two or three more other people. Well, this guy went down the street and told the neighborhood that we were selling barbecue, right? So, which was not the case, you know. So, you know, the cust- uh, you know, we had customers from the neighborhood rattling the door, and we get up to the door and say, "Hey, man, what's going on?" We were thinking somebody trying to break in, <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, the guy behind the door says, hey, we, we just, we heard you guys were selling barbecue. We're just trying to get some. And my dad looks over, confused, like, what the heck is going on? And my grandmother pops up and just like, hey, just tell them we'll have some tomorrow. Don't worry about it. And so my dad, you know, relays that message through the door. And along comes the birth of, of Mitchell's Ribs, yeah. Mitchell's Barbecue, Mitchell's yeah. Ribs, Chicken and Barbecue. The next day, five customers, the next day you know, continue to grow. Yeah. So, but mind you, we had no, (laughs) there was no elaborate business plan to be trying to sell barbecue. It was just something that we uh, were good at and known for as a family. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's so much in that story. I just want to dig a a little deeper, Ryan, because first of all, um, you know, as you said, this was triggered by the passing of your your grandfather, right? So there was this profound loss, not only for you, but especially your dad. I mean, the way he writes Very about much. it, like, like the, the patriarch of the family when he lost his his father. Um, and then also your grandmother, um, you know, your, your dad's mother, mm-hmm. trying to hold her life together, and especially the store, right? Because right. it was the, the, the store. Yeah, it was the source of of security, um, of, uh, of of meaning, of bringing the family together. Um, the business was really, really important. And you, in fact, I love this image of you, like, since you were, what, seven, and they turned over old Pepsi crates so you could work yeah, the, yeah. You the, know, we, the till? We, yeah, yeah, we purchased the soup. You know, my grandparents retired, and uh, fortunately, you know, my grandfather's, you know, once he retired from the state, his... You know, he continued to keep working, and he was like, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to leave my sons uh, some sort of a business. I don't care if it's a, a grass mowing, a lawn care, or, or I don't care what it is. I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, their goal was to leave behind some sort of a legacy. So we, they got the opportunity to purchase a a old supermarket that was closing down, very you know, very small, 1985. And so we got it. They got into that business. Um, and, you know, right off the gate, you know, I was after school, I was, you know, my granddad would pick me up from school and we'd go do inventory at a buy, buy products at the local little inventory place and come back and, you know, put little candies on the shelf. And I would, you know, they would always have me in front of the cash register counting and writing little stuff down. That was like my math homework, you know, <laughs> learning how to add and subtract. So they would take the old Pepsi Cola crates and turn it upside down so I could stand on it to be tall enough to hit the little button, you know, on the, on the cash register. Yeah. So that was my, you know, my grandfather was, you know, was, was my hero as well. So, you know, he, um, you know, he taught me all the, the early points of, uh, of, of hard work and just, you know, just spending time. Right. Hard work, entrepreneurship, family. Yeah. It's all wrapped up in that, right? All wrapped up. And then the way um, your father tells the story, I find this this moment to be so... Uh, important, right? Because right. you know he wanted to help out his mother, who right. was struggling after losing um, her husband. And right. the the day that he went over there, if I have the story right, um, it'd been a slow business day, right? Because she said she'd only so sold seventeen dollars worth of goods that day, and yeah. he wanted to you know sort of lift her spirits and asked her what he could do. 
And she said, I have a taste for some good old-fashioned barbecue. And immediately, mm-hmm. your father knew exactly what that meant. That seems really yeah. important to me. It, yeah. it does. It does. He knew exactly what she was talking about. It had been a while since we had, you know, had, uh, you know, had, had lit the grill or, or did something like that, uh, cooked a small pig. And so um, he knew what she meant. And, um, and also in that moment, you know, in his mind, it's, this is uh, late 80s, early 90s, right, or early 90s. And so losing my grandfather also meant losing a significant um, uh, source of income through his retirement. It meant lo- losing his leadership. More importantly, it meant losing his word, um, you know, with all of, uh, you know, the business and or banking relationships that he had because mm. he was the type of man that could go into you know, he can walk into the bank and, and he makes his deposits and a firm handshake. And, you know, everyone knew, you know, Mr. Willie's word was his word. You know, if he said he's going to bring you back $100 by 5 o'clock, he's going to bring you back $105 by 5 o'clock. You know? So back then, you know, relationships were everything. Handshakes were everything. So, you know, his name was was um, was just as important, you know, that was just as important of a loss uh, as it was yeah. you know, anything else. So my dad was trying to figure out just what, what are we going to do and mm. how. Mm. And barbecue, my grandmother's request, you know, for barbecue meant that, you know, she was, uh, she was in one of those modes to where she was going to try and use food as um, another means to sit everybody down and just, uh, you know, think. Yeah. And and be and, and pray. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it wasn't just any kind of barbecue that she meant, right? I mean she meant right. she no. meant whole hog cooked over coals. Yeah. She yeah. wanted the grill lit up on the side of where wherever it was. We but we had it right there on the side of the building. She wanted the grill lit up. She wanted a whole hog uh uh barbecue. She wanted it from her particular butcher that was uh, a couple miles up the road. You know, and she wanted some oak wood and old-fashioned cooked barbecue. And she wanted them, more importantly, she wanted the opportunity for my dad and my two uncles to be out there together figuring out because, you know, the process is still, you know, eight to ten hours. So, Mm. um, you know, uh, we started it very, you know, kind of similar. Yeah. We figured it out. So I'm going to tease our listeners a little bit and say that they're going to have to wait until a little later in the show before I ask you, how do you cook the whole hog? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not going to ask you to give away all your secrets, but just you no, know, no. G- give us a little 101 in a, f- a little bit later in the show. But, um, sure. you know, the the other thing, and we've just got about a minute before our first break, mm-hmm. Ryan. From mm-hmm. what I understand, I mean, Wilson, North Carolina was already pretty well known for, for barbecue, but there wasn't a lot of, at that time, um, commercial places that were selling whole hog cooked over coals. Is that right? Correct. That's right. That's right. You know, Wilson, North Carolina, the proximity uh, was, was, was just perfect because we were like on that corridor of 301 Highway and I-95. So it's kind of like, you know, the sweet spot between New York and or Florida. So everyone knew, the travelers understood that Wilson was kind of that eastern part of Carolina's was, was uh, the sweet spot to get some good barbecue. But at that time, those Larger uh, restaurants had moved over to just high-volume cooking because everybody was traveling, and and that meant they were getting, you know, uh, different cuts of of, uh, the pork shoulder and pork butts and not necessarily the whole hog. And cooked over gas instead cooked of over, coal. Yeah, cooked over gas. They <laughs> were, you know, they were they were making money and serving a lot of volume, and so that, that um, you know, they were answering the call to, um, 
to demand. Mm. Well, Ryan Mitchell joins us today. He's son of legendary pitmaster and barbecue hall of famer Ed Mitchell. They've co-authored a new cookbook called Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. We'll talk more when we come back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and Ryan Mitchell joins us today from Raleigh, North Carolina. He's a pitmaster from Wilson, North Carolina, and son of legendary pitmaster and barbecue hall of famer Ed Mitchell. And they've co-authored a new cookbook called Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. Um, and Ryan, I, I know that uh, your father was supposed to join us today, but uh, couldn't because of, of health issues. And I just wanted to, to note that and, and to let you know that we are sending to you, him, and your family, all the most positive energy we can uh, for, you so much. for your father. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about once uh, Mitchell's supermarket became um, Mitchell's ribs, chicken, and barbecue over the right. course of those few years, when did you get pulled into the business full-time? Or, or better yet, when did you cook barbecue your first whole hog? Well, um, you know, uh, you know what's what's also uh, a part of our story that people may or may not know that we, you know, we all kind of enter this barbecue business uh, hand in hand together. You know, uh, at uh, at different ages. You know, um, and so I was you know, thirteen when my grandfather passed. By that sum, by the next summer, fourteen. I was fourteen years old going into the next summer, and by then, you know, we were already, you know, kind of you know, rocking and rolling uh, within a year's time uh, of, of making the conversion. So I put my first hog on uh, when I was, you know, right around 14 years old that summer, uh, right before or right before I turned 14. And so, you know, I was in the smokehouse uh, with my uncle, uh, Aubrey Mitchell, which is which my, my father's brother, obviously, but he, um, you know, was one of our, you know, one of our lead cooks there at the restaurant as well, uh, cooking barbecue. And so he and I had a, you know, I was playing sports, playing football, and he was my, you know, kind of my sports hero because he was like this, you know, great football player uh, from from our city. And so he and I always had this, you know, uh, special relationship when it comes to sports and working out and, you know, making sure I, you know, knew the game. And so he, um, you know, he, he took some time with me inside the smokehouse one day and, you know, really kind of a part of a, 
you know, a, a workout day slash regiment slash, okay, you know, get your chores done for the day so your dad don't be upset. Mm. And then, uh, you know, kind of kind of get back to whatever it is you want to do for the rest of the day. So I put my first hog on, you know, right at 14 years old. Um, and so, you know, it it, uh, it all worked out. At the, looking back on that day, you know, it really was just kind of a, a, a trick for them to kind of get me to do all the work. Cause I was, <laughs> they were, they were, <laughs> you know, I was always trying to, you know, show how strong I was and that I could be, you know, one of the big boys or whatever. So I'm grabbing charcoals and whole hogs off the off the truck and, you know, just showing everybody I don't need them. And so, yeah, yeah, they was like, yeah, let's let them, go ahead and let them, let them finish, let them finish. Yeah, yeah. And so they're just sitting back and letting me you know, show off, so to say, and uh, lo and behold, I'm tricked into putting on a hog. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the physicality of the work? I mean, it's not just tending to the coals, but, you, like, you're dealing with whole hogs. Yeah, you're dealing with a whole hog. I mean, and, you know, the average size hog that we start out with is, uh, you know, somewhere between 100 and 125 pounds. So, you know, it takes a lot of, you know, physical work, uh, you know, and those times, you know, obviously there was no air conditioning in the, in the pits. You know, we, we're using an outdoor garage pit that we, a garage that we had converted into a smokehouse. Um, so, you know, it is North Carolina summer times, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so we're, we're 90 plus, you know, degrees in the summer and, and we're, you know, the physicality that goes into, uh, you know, just to prep to even get the hog down on the on the grate, on the grill is um, is a tremendous amount of work. You know, there's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of easier ways to feed people, but there isn't there isn't a more, uh, you know, spiritual slash authentic way to feed people. Uh-huh. OK, so yeah. let's hold on to that thought about the authenticity and the spiritual connection, because I definitely want to return to that. But okay. th- there's also something, though, that your your father has written about, which is really, really important, because as you were describing earlier, that first hog that uh, that he barbecued for your mm-hmm. grandmother, there was never the intention of like turning it into a business because he, I mean, he even writes that he never ever considered the possibility of making a living as a pit master because in the community when he grew up, yeah, barbecue was done in that mm-hmm. traditional way for church um, and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and he writes, he writes, no one I ever knew actually owned anything and have, had ever made a career out of being a pit master. All the black men I knew had to stay in the back, cook, and keep their heads down. They weren't even allowed to own businesses. That's right. That's correct. Um, you know that 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 is also a part of you know the complexity uh, that that we have. Uh, you know, just as uh, people of color with you know barbecue is a you know, small microcosm of the overall world of hospitality. But you know, being a pit master, you know. Our reputation of, of being able to cook good barbecue started, you know, in the 1800s. Okay, so, you know, the, the context that didn't make this particular book is that we, we also were able to verify, you know, the, the, fa- the childhood rumor for me that my great-grandfather had fathered 35 children. So he fathered 35 children uh, uh, between two wives, and so— you know, from the eight, from, you know, roughly 1870 all the way up through my dad's, you know, childhood and adult life, our family and different sectors of our family um, were all, you know, known to be really good at uh, cooking barbecue and or, you know, uh, all, all the things that come along with uh, sharecropping and the tobacco um, harvest 
we were just very involved as a family with all these different, um, you know, facets of, you know, Carolina agriculture, you know, through work. So um, the pits and the former plantations and even the restaurants that had um, that had grown a, a decent reputation at that time, you know, the pits were all manned by, you know, African-American pit masters and, you know, the name on the marquee was uh, was was a was different. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have that experience with um you know seeing someone be successful at it as it relates to progressing into some some form of ownership. And you know and that all relates to just the complex nature of remaining in you know the service industry side of it yeah. too, you yeah. know. So but there were a few sweet spots for uh, black Americans during that time and and to enter entrepreneurship and just so happen, you know, forms of service, i.e., you know, opening up a little a small, you know, restaurant of some sorts or, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, mechanics and lawn cares and, you know, you know, trades, you know, there were there was some acceptable entry points and uh, to trying to become an entrepreneur of some sorts. And so, you know, we were able to find that sweet spot, but it wasn't because we, you know, had any examples yeah. before. Yeah. I would love to hear you tell the story of how your um, interest was renewed in de- having a deeper understanding of the, the historical significance of whole hog, whole hog barbecue, because it's it's kind of an amazing thing that uh, it happens because a certain gentleman, which people might have heard of, named Anthony Bourdain, <laughs> enters Absolutely. the scene. Very much so. Very much so. You know, there's articles out there on, on how I, you know, you know, ignored his emails and phone calls and, <laughs> and, and just totally just, you know, dissed this guy. But I had no, I, I didn't know who he was and my family didn't. Only only one, two people in my family understood what was happening with Food Network and the popularity of food and and so they were aware of him, but you know, in 2002, um, you know, obviously, I, you know, I, I grew up in the restaurant business, so I'm working, I'm working, and I'm a, I'm a young man trying to figure out, you know, why is it, you know, uh, you know, we have, our, we're really good at this, we have our name on this building, we're doing well, but I just could not make the connectivity on why we're continuing to be in the service industry, we continue to do these things, we're not making a whole lot of money, but we're we're doing a, a great service to the community by chasing the dream. Um, you know, my my uh, again, my grandmother grew up uh, working on plantation homes, so her story about food and beverage was, you know, were, were not the the greatest until mm. she, you know, you know, started talking to me about how she poured that energy back into her home and why she cooked so much at home. You know, it was almost therapeutic for her to deal with what she was going through during the daytime to give that energy back to her family. Uh, again, uh, fast forward to my parents' generation, um, you know, winding and dining around the city or, or around the country wasn't, you know, fashionable then because they weren't actually allowed to eat in, uh, in a lot of these restaurants exactly. and, and have that experience or positivity with um, with food and beverage or barbecue at that time. Um, the pit masters around all the places that might have been your favorite that you could maybe go in the back door of were all working in the kitchen. And so the presentation of barbecue in the hospitality industry was was just something that I was, you know, struggling with and trying to understand. And then along comes, so I, I get through high school, college, and my first year out of college, along comes this gentleman named Antonio Bardane. 
And he is, uh, you know, on his uh, second season of a show called Cook's Tour, which is the memoirs from his book. And he comes in and, you know, after after all of my, you know, uh, deleted emails, you know, he finally gets the call <laughs> through to the secretary and uh, uh, catering secretary. And, and she comes running down like, do you not know, you know, who the heck this this gentleman is? I was like, man, no, I don't know. But what I do know is that, like, we got a couple hours to get the money up for the light bill. And, you know, the line is out the door. We're running out of product. I don't have time for these this, this <laughs> camera nonsense you know i'm trying yeah. to uh, I'm trying make to make payroll. a living yeah <laughs> i'm trying to make a living and it doesn't even you know i have no context of anyone being you know that interested in what it is we're doing from a from a media perspective from a from a entertainment perspective and so antonio comes in and i'll never forget you know he um you know after a couple hours of shooting you know he notices me you know, because I'm I'm not on camera. I'm off camera. You know, kind of making sure my dad and my uncles and everybody get the limelight, and I'm making sure all the businesses handle. And he notices my, you know, quote unquote disconnect, but my stress with you know how how what we're doing. He you know he has a very candid conversation with me, and you know was was polite enough and brotherly enough to be you know to enlighten me just on what it is we had here and how important you know um our place was in barbecue to the to to the culture and he said to me directly he said um you know i met you guys at the big apple block party he said but the reason that i chose you to be on this show is because i did my homework and i was very adamant with my production team that i wanted the guy who whose name was on the building I also wanted to see if he worked in the pits. Uh-huh. And so he said, I, when I verified that the same name that was in that smokehouse working and doing all the work was the same name on the building, he said, I made it my business, you know, to make sure that I spoke and, and, and brought my, um, my interest in this show here to you. He said, so you have something that, um, that wasn't commonplace, right? And so his uh, ability to explain that to me and to, to kind of, you know, just see him, he said, I travel all over the world, you know, uh, eating food and, 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 and enjoying different cultures. You know, he said, I could be anywhere, he said, but, you know, I'm here. And that was my, you know, kind of kind of coming to Jesus moment, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> on, on what it is we were doing and who and why, um, you know, people were interested in it. Um, yeah. And so Yeah. You know, so uh, that that uh, really that 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 sets you on this path of um first of all not only just more deeply recognizing what you and your family had for sure. Right, but right. then also this bigger story, the deeper story of and you've mentioned it a couple of times of Black America and and hospitality and and barbecue mm-hmm. um in particular. Mm-hmm. I, I want to hear a little bit more from you about um what you what you discovered um, not only about your family, um, but about uh, the, that complex relationship to to hospitality that you've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, it, it's um, you know, barbecue. Like I say, is just really a small, you know, small microcosm into this bigger picture. Um, but you can't talk about barbecue without talking about the farm, and you can't reference the farm without also referencing you know, time and place of plantation life and, you know, cooking 
and and being under those conditions of servitude while we were building this cuisine that serves America, you know. So, uh, you know, black pit masters are, are, you know, we have, uh, you know, the authentic love, you know, for the craft, but it is very hard to, you know, maintain that intense sense of labor, you know, as you try to figure out how to be in the business of it. And so sometimes, you know, we do, um, you know, different different um, emotions come out, you know, when it comes to doing that type of work. And, you know, you have to reflect and understand that there's a bigger picture. And uh, and so we were able to kind of embrace some of that. And, and, and it all really kind of starts with understanding that, you know, barbecue is... Um, you know, it's 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 a craft that happened. Uh, it's a skill set that was also mastered well before you know um, you know we got to America. You mm. know, these skill sets. Once we started traveling, uh, we traveled to Melbourne, Australia. We traveled to Brazil, and we cooked in these in these barbecue festivals. And you start learning, you know, the culture of the craft. You know, starts with all forms of indigenous cultures around the world, and so getting to the you know, Americas and continuing to cook in the ground and continue continuing this this uh, art form, you know, was something that, um, you know, it's a worldly thing. And so now you have to now you learn how to uh, appreciate, you know, your contributions to it and what it means to you uh, and, 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 and move forward that way. Yeah. Um, and so but the, the bigger the bigger picture is the way in which we classify who is good and who is great has evolved into who wins competitions and or who owns, um, who has the longevity in successful restaurants. And so that kind of undercuts, you know, the recognition um, that, that certain black Americans can get with maintaining their position in barbecue because, um, you know, we have turned it into a sport almost. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, so mm-hmm. that, that overshadows the... Uh, the opportunity or even sounds like the obligation to understand the the history of this very food that we're consuming. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so, um, you know, uh, we just have to work on how we, um, who we call great and who we start recognizing. And because, you know, the the opportunity and and the resources available for most African-Americans to start, you know, business and and maintain successful run, uh, a successful long-term run in, in any you know, food space is, um, you know, it's challenging. And Mm so, you know, once you start to only recognize it from that angle, then you, you know, by default, you know, um, you know, disconnect a certain group of people. Right. Well, I think your example shows us all, which is why I'm so glad to be talking to you today about, Ryan, about how, like, really understanding that history and honoring Mm -hmm. it can then turn into a celebration of what we're all enjoying together now. So when we come back, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into um, the, the history and the cultural roots of barbecue, as you described, Ryan. So just stick with us, and we'll be back. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. 
as long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And just a second before we get back to our show today, I wanted to let you know about something we're working on for Monday, a really interesting conversation with economist Melissa Carney. Now, she's talking about parenting and families and children's success. And she says that not only does having two parents in a household help improve the chances of a child's success, the real difference is whether those parents are married or not. So we want to hear from you. If you're a single parent or grew up in a single parent household, how has that had an impact on you, on your life, on your finances, on the things that your parent was able to provide for you, anything else, your time, your role models. What do you think of this idea that having not just two parents, but two married parents in a household is overall more advantageous to kids? We want to share your stories. So give us a call either at 617-353-0683, or better yet, record a message to us in the OnPoint Vox Pop app. If you don't already have it, go to wherever you get your apps and look for On Point Vox Pop. So the so-called two-parent privilege, we're doing that in a future show. Today, we are speaking with Ryan Mitchell. He's a pitmaster from Wilson, North Carolina, and son of legendary pitmaster and barbecue hall of famer Ed Mitchell. They've co-authored a new cookbook called Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. Uh, and Ryan, I want to just take a moment to talk more about um, that you know centuries-long history of barbecue and and why, as you've been describing, there's this complicated relationship that Black America has with. Um, the whole concept of of not family hospitality or community hospitality, but hospitality and, and work. <laughs> um, so we reached out to someone who knows a lot about this um, and asked him, when does the American tradition of barbecue really begin? Um, because what's commonly recognized as the Southern pit barbecue, he said, dates back to the 1500s. Probably Virginia is where barbecue started. I think that's the strongest case for barbecue. Because the indigenous people there would dig a shallow pit in the ground. They would fill it with a combination of rocks and wood, and they would set the wood on fire. And then they would just put strips of meat either on the rocks and woods itself, or they would lay sticks across the depression that they created by digging that shallow pit and put the meat on that. Adrian Miller is a James Beard award-winning culinary historian and the author of Black Smoke, African Americans, and the United States of Barbecue. So that looks familiar to what would eventually become Southern Barbecue. And then later, colonizing Europeans and enslaved Africans bring their own meat cooking traditions and techniques. And then there's this collaboration that develops that puts us on the road to Southern Barbecue. Miller says for centuries, that original style of barbecue typically involved cooking a whole animal, 
a pig, as we've been discussing. Over time, barbecue naturally became a popular menu item for special occasions. After all, when you cook a whole hog in the era before refrigeration, the food needs to be finished fast. You know, if there was a public works project, somebody was going to build a dam or complete a railway or uh, start a new road or something, they'd have a barbecue. Uh, politicians figured out, hey, if I have a barbecue, I can get people to come hear me give a stump speech and eat my barbecue and maybe even vote for me, although that didn't always happen. And they knew that. Uh, and then preachers figured it out, too. They would have these big multi-day religious revivals that they called camp meetings. And barbecue was often a feature of that. And then in slavery for enslaved people, barbecue was um, a definitely a way to connect people socially and, and reinforce those social ties. Miller also says cooking the barbecue was extremely labor intensive. Chop the wood, put it in that trench, set it on fire, wait till it burned down as coals. Then somebody had to butcher the animals, process them, butterfly them, stick poles in them. And then somebody had to cook these animals by flipping them periodically. Um, another person had to maintain a separate fire of hardwood burning coals, and they would just walk up and down the, the pit looking for cold spots. And then somebody else had a bucket with vinegar and spices to sauce the meat. And then other people had to practice their instruments because they were the after barbecue entertainment. They would play music and dance. Somebody had to serve the food and somebody had to clean all this stuff up. And for much of barbecue's history, that work fell upon enslaved Africans and the later enslaved African-Americans. Because the racial dynamic of our country is if you're going to have somebody do a lot of work and not pay them, you had enslaved black people do it. So by the time you get to the 19th century, and really towards the end of the 18th century, blackness and barbecue were wedded. And that held true even after emancipation and the end of the Civil War. Not only because of the role that barbecue played in connecting black Americans together, but also because the appetite for good barbecue never went away. In fact, Miller told us that Black Americans became the undisputed experts of the cuisine, and they set up brick-and-mortar shops around the country during the urbanization of America in the 1920s. And I would say that soul food, fried fish places, and barbecue were probably the three most popular types of businesses that African Americans ran in terms of the food space. Barbecue has been many things for Black Americans throughout history, from the forced labor of enslaved people to one of the early opportunities for entrepreneurial success. And throughout it all, Miller says it's been an important means of connecting the Black community. Cooking is an expression of love. You know, somebody is saying that they care for your survival. Even if the food is straight nasty, the act of cooking is meaningful. But uh, these food traditions connect us to a past. And we have a lot more in common in that past than we may think. Um, a lot of people that go into a barbecue restaurant today just, you know, just enjoy it as a type of food. They may have no idea of its history. But one of the joys that I found in sharing my work with others is people start to see these connections. They're like, oh, wow, Native American and its foundation. And then you've got enslaved Africans and Europeans. So these shared cuisines um, in a shared past, I think, inform our present and help us endeavor to have a shared future. That's Adrian Miller. He's a James Beard award-winning culinary historian and the author of Black Smoke, African Americans, and the United States of Barbecue. Well, Ryan, can you tell me more about what you found and had and put in uh, you know in the cookbook as you and your father were doing some research for it that connects to this? Because for example, you found 
articles from what the 1800s, the 19th century, that described you know how plantation owners allowed um, sharecroppers to occasionally use the barns as gathering places. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. I mean, that was you know spot on by by Adrian. Um, you know, we did. <clears throat> An intense amount of research just trying to backtrack some of the stories from my family, like some of the things that we were hearing, you know, that I grew up hearing as a, as a kid and, you know, that were folklore through, um, you know, through my parents and grandparents. And so we were able to find articles of, um, you know, of shindigs uh, from the Wilson Daily Times, whereas, um, you know, one of the one of the plantations that was connected in our story, uh, not too far from where we live, uh, in a town called Stantonburg, North Carolina, which is right right near my high school, um, there was a there was a you know story in the in the Wilson Daily Times where um, that weekend, you know, they were they were writing about a, a separate tragedy because an incident had happened, but in that in that story was. The relationship between a uh, plantation owner and one of the sharecroppers or enslaved uh, African Americans that was there, he had developed a re- relationship with him to where on the weekends or at the end of, you know, work and harvest, um, uh, the barn, one of the barns was allowed to be used as a gathering place, uh, as like a form of camaraderie for all the other uh, African Americans on the plantation or in the area. And... Um, <laughs> The shindig specifically, uh, you know, detailed the menu, which was whole hog chop barbecue, mm. and it says lightly, uh, likely seasoned by vinegar base, vinegar and crushed red peppers. Now, the reason that that was so important to us because it was it was it was one of the first uh, pieces to identify um, not just uh, the use of eating good barbecue, but using the cuisine as a form of business. Mm-hmm. So he would, you know, charge, you know, 10 cent a sandwich or whatever the, whatever the rate was, um, and he would sell, uh, uh, you know, barbecue at this shindig, uh, and there would be music playing, and um, it was almost a form of, uh, you know, uh, of entertainment and or the first, you know, form of, of really entrepreneurship, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that the hog provided. Because, again, you're cooking a whole hog. That is a very easy way to feed and invite large, you know, groups of people. Yeah. Um, so, so survival even is how you call it, right? Survival, yeah. you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a survival food, you know. And so, you know, those, uh, those stories were truly important for us to really uh, connect to. Um, and, and it kind of put some credence to, and, uh, and they were right there in our archives in, the, in our newspaper. Yeah. Um, so Can I ask another quick thing? Because I, yes. I did not know this, that um, on the Underground Railroad, people yeah. would learn how to cook barbecue because doing what whole hog barbecue in the ground was a safer way of cooking? Well, yeah, like so. One of those, uh, one of the unique points that Adrian was also mentioning uh, yeah. from the you know fifteen hundreds about how uh, you know indigenous Americans and African Americans were digging pits in the ground and you know with fire and rocks and and you learning and learning the technique of cooking uh, underground, so to say. So there was documentation, whereas um, you know on the road to freedom, uh, the technique of putting building small pits in the ground and and cooking uh, small entire animals in the ground was also a method of hiding the smoke, right? Uh So as opposed to cooking it 
you know, above ground or in a in another type of a, a pit or in another type of um, you know, uh, you know, contraption or whatever, you would put the food underground and you would cover it and it would cook and simmer on its own. And, you know, the, the leaves and the barriers and all the things that they would use to compress it would also hide the smoke. So you weren't able to see or identify, you know, um, you know, a dead giveaway of where, you know, someone was cooking at in order to eat on the run, mm, mm, okay. you know, so, um, you know, all of these techniques, um, you know, that are associated with learning how to cook barbecue. You're cooking it to, to survive on the run. You're cooking it to feed gatherings, uh, you know, and, and functions. And you're cooking it to stay alive. Yeah. And there's so many different facets yeah. on, you know, how, yeah. <laughs> you know, we connect to it. Exactly. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, Ryan, and I, I got to come clean with you about something. Okay. I was a little nervous to have this conversation because I am super aware that, uh, you know, I'm having a conversation with a pit master, and I, I sit up here in Boston, Massachusetts, where we dig holes and throw clams into them. So, yeah. like, I'm not—I can't cool. say that I know anything <laughs> about about barbecue. And also, we've got listeners in the Carolinas, in Texas, mm-hmm. in a lot of states where there is extreme barbecue passion. So I'm throwing my hands up and admitting I am a total novice okay. <laughs> when it comes okay. to, to barbecue. So give me a little lesson. Like, where do you start if you want to learn how to do a whole hog? Well, you know, we have, uh, f- first and foremost, you know, we have much uh, easier ways and more efficient ways now than opposed to digging a pit in the ground. So, you know, if you, uh, I would advise all, you know, new whole hog barbecue guys, the first thing you want to do is find you a nice barrel smoker, you know, and, and um, you know, a barrel drum or a smoker that's, you know, shaped in the rectangular form. Okay. Uh, understanding that, you know, your first hog needs to be somewhere between, we'll just say 50 and 75 pounds, just so you can kind of, you know, get the you know, get the the, the hang of, uh, you know, what it's going to take to get this animal done, right? And so there's a process that we use, and it's called banking. And what banking is, is that you position uh, your coals and your heat uh, in a rectangular form inside of your smoker so that the shoulders and the hams uh, are able to get done uh, at the same time as the, the middle part of the hog is, which is where the most tender pieces of meat are that don't need uh, an intense amount of direct heat. So um, a barrel drum, you know, um, a bag of, uh, of charcoal, uh, hickory and or uh, oak wood, we prefer, uh, as your heat source. And, um, you know, start with your local butcher, start with your local farmer's market and go source, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, uh, pasture-raised, uh, you know, well-fed animals that you can mm-hmm. that you can find, support your small farmer in that in that aspect. And um, you know, you light your grill, you light your smoker, you get your get your coals going up to about, you know, about 275, 300, and put your grates down and you put your hog down skin side up. Mm. And you shut the lid. Because if you're looking, you're not cooking. Okay. Uh-huh. So <laughs> <laughs> You shut the lid and you trust the process. Uh, on that size of an animal, you know, you're probably only going to need about six hours, seven hours at the most. So, you know, that can give you a great introduction uh, to, to at least giving it a shot. And, and, and while it's cooking, 
you know, you, you find you, uh, as my, if, my, if my dad was on here, he'd say, go find you also a nice uh, uh, legal but maybe illegal jug of moonshine <laughs> that you can get from someone, all right? And you fill that up with half and half sweet tea and moonshine, and you sit there and you think about, you know, how good the food is going to be and, 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 and who you want to uh, be your first taste tester. Yeah. You hit up your local home brewer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> local home brewer up, man. And, 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 and and what are you seasoning with it? Is your, is your sauce using, a secret sauce? Sauce is a secret sauce, but it's not. Uh, listen, we are, you know, vinegar-based uh, chop whole hog barbecue, crushed red pepper, and vinegar-based uh, apple cider vinegar specifically is what we call Carolina barbecue. It's what we call barbecue in general. So once your animal gets done, you're going to need a jug of apple cider vinegar and some crushed red pepper and a little bit of hot sauce and maybe some salt and pepper, uh, sage paprika. I think what's that's on page, what, 14 of the book mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's got to be some vinegar involved. Yeah. And then the vinegar has, it's a multifaceted ingredient and it has its own history. Yeah. And then you bring your family and your friends and your community together, and um, you, you just come together over you, over the you barbecue. You just come together, and you turn them upside, turn them over, and you just find the best pieces that look done, and yeah. you just give it a taste, give it a shot. Well, and you do that over and over and over again <laughs> yeah. until you get it right. Well, Ryan Mitchell is the son of legendary pitmaster Ed Mitchell, and their new cookbook is Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. <laughs>